Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Series, Hello Possible, and we started a few weeks ago, and um, uh, we started two weeks ago with a message about assurance, and uh, we started with this um, scripture um, that was given to us prophetically, 2 Chronicles seven twelve says this in the Message Bible, God appeared to Solomon that very night and said, I accept your prayer, yes I have chosen this place as a temple for sacrifice, a house of worship. If I ever shut off the supply of rain from the skies or order the locusts to eat the crops or send a plague on my people and my people, my God-defined people, respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence and turning their backs from their wicked lives, I be... I'll be there ready for you. I listen from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land to health. From now on, I am alert day and night to the prayers offered at this place. Believe me, I've chosen and sanctified this temple that you have built. My name is stamped on it forever. My eyes are on it and my heart in it always. And so we started this series on what it means to have this prophetic word of God's is his eyes and his promises resting upon us saying, I am listening to you, I am answering your prayer. What does that mean? What are the possibilities of how we can pray? What does that look like? And, and we started um, two weeks ago with, with the principle of understanding that we must pray not from a disciplined prayer life, not that that's wrong, it's good to have a disciplined prayer life, but it's better to have an assured prayer life. Yeah. That you can pray, you can pray discipline, but still unbelieving, right? You can, you can, you can still pray. You can pray consistently, but not with confidence, not with assurance. And assurance is something that shifts the internal understanding of your relationship with God. But assurance is is discovered in the fact that we always have an open heaven. We have an open heaven because the heavens were opened by Jesus Christ. You know, we often talk about one of the, the language of the Pentecostal church is that we got to open the heavens. Well, the heavens were opened by God. They were opened when Jesus came and, and he gave himself in obedience in baptism and the Holy Spirit came like a dove and rested upon Jesus. From that moment, as the Bible says in, in Matthew, that, that Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That is the definition of an open heaven. For the heavens have been opened because the Spirit has been poured out. So therefore, we need to pray with an assured prayer life. An assured prayer life comes from devotion. Well, this morning, I, I want us to look at what it means to pray from a position of identity. What it means to pray from a position of identity. And identity uh, is something that we talk about a lot um, in society, to, identity is something that is, identity is in many ways a subject that irritates me. <laughs> do, you, do you understand me by that? Because we're often, we've got, to, we've got to know who we are. I'm going to be the best person I can be. Doesn't that make you sick? <laughs> do, do you know why it makes me sick? Because it's not, it's not Christian language, it's, it's worldly philosophy that Christians have embraced because it sounds nice. Yeah. 
going to be the best person I can be. What does it even mean? What does that mean? Can you, can you locate that to anything? Because it doesn't mean anything, does it? It, it literally doesn't mean anything. I'm going to be the best person I can be. It, it's mean, well, does that mean that when you get up in the morning, you're going to cook the very best breakfast every day? Does that, does that what it means? Are you going to be the best in everything all the time? Like, that doesn't even work. <laughs> so, so those, those kinds, so the, the whole message of identity irritates me. And it irritates me because if I think through the world and through the history of church and through the great moves of God, nobody even talks about identity until about the, the, the 1960s, sort of 70s. They don't even talk about stuff like that, particularly. I mean, now, to a large degree, it has always gone on uh, and there has always been a question, but this worship of identity, this worship of self. However, I'm going to talk about it because I want us to understand it because it is the framework of how modern society thinks. And modern day Western philosophy has always asked this question, who am I? Yes. Right? Modern Western philosophy has always answered, asked this question, who am I? Now, I'm going to... Uh, try and answer that question without the concept of God. Is that all right? And the reason why I'm going to do that is so for us to understand where and how our thinking is framed if you take away your faith. All right? Because much of what we think and much of what we believe is framed not in the word of God, but in our experience and our influence that comes from the world yeah. all right so so let's understand what that how that thinking works and what that is because modern day philosophy is often asking this question about understanding who am i where my identity is formed and identity is very difficult to pin down and it's difficult to pin down because there are many different properties that you have to Identity and philosophy will talk about uh, the properties that make up a person. So, for instance, we could say, say, let's um, let's take um, let's take four properties: that you are male, you are an engineer, you're Scottish, um, and you're a father. It's Father's Day. There we go. There is James right there for you. Right? I might have deliberately chosen that. So, uh, <laughs> You're male, you're a father, you're Scottish, and you're an engineer. Now, there could be, there probably, there could be more than one. Say there's two men in this room that are male, father, Scottish, engineer. In fact, Phil's a male, Scottish, uh, father, and an engineer. So there are, two, there are two men in this room with identical properties, but identity is then valued differently. So, so one person could say... I'm a male father. I'm a father and I'm a man. Those would be the properties that they would take ownership. They wouldn't say, I'm not Scottish and I'm not an engineer. They would say those things. But the the way, the place they form themselves from would would be, I'm a man and I'm a father. Well, the other one could say, I'm a Scottish engineer. (laughs) (laughs) They could identify themselves 
more firmly in their, in their nationality and in their qualifications. That could be the, the place that they pin down as being their identity. And so identity, but those are only four properties, and there are many, many different properties that, that we begin to take upon ourselves that form our identity, the things that we think about ourselves. Then you begin to add to yourself the, 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 the things about yourself which may be true, may be experienced in life, but are possibly and probably not true. So the, the, the most extreme example uh, could be, you could decide that you're Napoleon. <laughs> I mean, you could say, well, I'm, I'm Napoleon. In modern day thinking, how could you not say that? Sorry, if I, I, I believe, I, I feel like I'm Napoleon. Modern thinking, I'm oh, sorry, I just spat on you, Laura. I, I saw it hit you. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you wished I hadn't said that, don't you? Modern, modern day thinking says that if I feel it, I must be it. So, so if I feel like I'm Napoleon, you can't tell me I'm not. So that would be, and so therefore, you must now call me the emperor. <laughs> this is all that one. So you must now call me the emperor because I am Napoleon, right? So from now on, uh, I am Napoleon and you must call me the emperor. This is how I form my identity. Now, you may say, well, you're just taking the mick, right? Well, do you know, to some degree that happens. People get an inflated opinion, Right? People get an, an, an opinion of themselves that there is a part of their identity and they begin to think about themselves in a place where they believe something about themselves to be true, right? You believe something about yourself to be true, but it's not actually true. Now, to some degree, it can be framed in an experience that would make you feel like it's true. And almost every belief we have has a root of experience upon which we've drawn a conclusion that we've agreed with ourselves is true and therefore that is the fact upon myself and from there I draw my identity. You could draw an identity say of yourself, I'm... Uh, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm not capable. They, these are common belief systems. One, one of the things I often think about my, uh, think is, is the taking of photographs of people. Right? The taking of photographs. You take a photograph of a person and everyone, oh, lovely picture, look at that lovely picture. They show it to the person the photograph it is of and they look, oh my goodness, that's dreadful. <laughs> look at my face. And you're looking at the face thinking, well, that's your face, what's wrong with the face? <laughs> And they're going, but they, they, I'm just pulling a funny face. And you're thinking, well, it's your face. <laughs> but it's not a funny face, it's just your face. Do you know what I mean? But everyone has this, this feeling that something's wrong with their face. That somehow they, they should be a little bit more perfect than what they really are. And so they begin to form an identity framed around that the, I never get a good picture of me. That's a, I mean, there's just a tiny sort of aspect. But if you start on this process of what happens if you continue to believe the experiences, 
you continue to believe your agreement of self, what you do is you begin to break down the very elements of who you're called to be by God because now you're agreeing with human philosophy which does not have God. And out of that, you're trying to live your Christian life. So you're trying to live your Christian life. You come to church on Sundays and you're, you're waking up and you're, and you're doing your morning prayer meet, uh, prayer study, uh, uh, Bible study and you're praying and you're doing your Christian life. But for the most part, you have decided things about yourself which are formed on a westernized human philosophy that has no aspect of God. Yeah. And here's the problem. If you agree about things with yourself, that you decide these are true, these are truths about me, and these are not things which God has said about you, then you have agreed with a lie which begins to take root like stinging nettles. And the roots just grow in, and they take a part of every part of your life, and they they root up and they undermine stinging nettles. You, you see those roots that they're, they're like stinging nettles. They're like that and dandelions and all of those roots, those weeds that get in, and they just go across every aspect. and And then you're wondering why you you struggle when you pray, because your prayer life is framed from human philosophy. Here's the problem with human philosophy. I was listening to the radio, um, uh, listening to a, a, a professor. Uh, of philosophy uh, on the radio um, some months ago, and uh, he was he was advocating uh, the destruction of children post birth because they have no self consciousness. Therefore, they have no you you've, they've got no right to be able to decide. They should live. Therefore, if it's not convenient for the parent to have them, you should be able to cease their life now sounds pretty sound horrific when I'm telling you that I can't tell you how seducing that man's voice was and here's the reason why if you take God away from the identity of who we are you have no basis or framework for morality. Well, you could say, I mean, you could tell the interviewer was a little shocked. And he wanted the interviewer, was stu- the interviewer was de- definitely su- being seduced by this guy. But he was still a little shocked and he was trying to find a basis of morality to say you're wrong. But if there is no God, there is no morality. Because yeah. morality is decided by human nature and we decide what the boundaries are. And who, who's to say what the boundaries are, right? So if, you, if, if one person says the boundaries are here and another person says, well, they're, actually, I think they're here, then yeah. who can say there is no right or wrong? Yeah. If you don't have a, a reference point from where morality comes from. Yes. And here's the, the reason why we have to cut, get to grips with our God-given identity because we've got to get God on the inside of our thinking and understanding who we really are in God. Otherwise, we are coming into an agreement with a lie that will begin 
to break down every single aspect of our identity, of our morality, of our decision-making process, and ultimately the destiny of our life. You may wonder what this is to do with prayer, and I'll show you in a moment, but I, I want you to see this. Psalms 139, Cheryl read this, this this morning, she didn't know I was preaching on this. Psalm 139, 17 says this. For you were formed, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. You see, in God, we're wonderfully made, which means we have properties, we have identities, we have aspects of our life that we must come to to understand who we really are. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. He saw my substance yet unformed. His thoughts for me are wonderful. His thoughts. He has thoughts for my life. In other words, there is an identity over your life which we have to take hold of. That is your identity. Your identity is not your uh, is, is not your gender, it's not your workplace, it's, it's not your qualification, it, it is not where you were born, it's not where, how you were raised, it is not any of the experience you ever had. This is not your identity. Your identity is God made you. You were made by the Father. Now, I want you to see this. You see, our prayer life has to be sourced and has to be framed. See, we pray from our identity. In fact, we do everything from our identity. If, you're, if you say you're afraid of spiders, it's part of your identity, right? I mean, it's a tiny part, but if you say you're afraid of spiders, then you're always going to have a problem with spiders around, right? But you only have to have a decision that you're not afraid of spiders, and then you won't have a problem. It's just a shift of thinking. That's all it is, right? Yeah. I mean, as a father, fathers have to clear out the trash, right? James, don't they? It's, a, it's part of the all, the... all the men go, yeah. That's fathers have to do the messy jobs. And, and as a father, I remember as a, as a kid watching my dad put his hand down the drain and, and uh, pull out just vile stuff, thinking that's just the most horrible thing I've ever seen. How can you do that? And, until you become a father and you go, well... Someone's got to do it. So, <laughs> I see so you just make decisions. So, let, let me tell you stuff. None of that stuff bother, does not bother me. Nothing, vomit does not bother me. Stench does not bother me. I, I've actually worked a way in which you can, you, you can. I mean, some. I don't know why Cheryl can't do this, but you just switch your nose off, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You switch your nose off. You just switch it off. 
and you just, you just carry on and there is no smell because you can't smell it. You switch your nose off. So, and you just go, none of it, honestly, none of it. It's not pleasant, right? It's not like, you know, it, it's, not, it's not pleasant, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all because I, I, I used to be bothered by it, but I made a decision because... I'm the one who's going to have to deal with it, so deal with it. And let, if you're going to deal with it, deal with it and not be bothered because that's a much better way of dealing with life, right? So you shift your identity. Here is the thing. We have to shift our identity with the expectation of what we can do and where we can go and that the way we do that is framed in how we're going to pray. And how we pray is, comes from who we are. What we ask for is framed in who we are. I remember as a child, my parents were um, fiercely independent. I've often said this. And my mother had um, six kids in the 1950s and 60s and, and uh, she had all of us at home and there was no way, it was in the season when everyone had was going into hospital, it became become fashionable to go into hospital, and she even had my, my brothers who were twins six weeks early, she was like, I'm not having them in the hospital, I'll have them at home, thank you very much. And a fiercely independent, right? And so, and my, my family had a fiercely independent, sort of, we, we refused to, they, um, we didn't have a, a, a television, we, we uh, for, the, for the most part of, of my childhood, uh, which would have been the entire life of most of my brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest. And, and uh, so we had, this, we had this family life, the Upton family. And we had this life. And, and, and when we went out together, we were the Uptons. And they used to call us the Upton clan, which is ironic, right? Because we were from the south of England. Who would know and live in Scotland? And, uh, so, and, and out of that independence, out of that fierceness out of that identity the Uptons who can't be messed with the Uptons who would I remember these lads uh, coming uh, messing about and uh, trying to threaten us and me and my brothers and and uh, and they were like oh don't mess with them they're the Uptons and I remember thinking yeah we're the Uptons <laughs> I don't even know where that identity came from I mean I know we were always you know I was always scrapping and getting in fights and stuff but but it was like this identity, and so from that gave me a confidence, and that confidence gave me just the will to do things that other people possibly wouldn't. Most of those things were not good, by the way, so we won't go there. But, but it was framed from who I was, where I came from. This is where you came from. You were fearfully, and you were wonderfully made. Let's have a look at a guy called Jabez. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. What is the... What is the reason for Jabez's prayer? The secret of that portion of scripture, which has often been looked at by um, within, certainly within our sort of network of churches in, and, and the type of church that we are, Jabez is a, is a very common person to go back to. 
what makes, what is the secret? I believe the secret is this. Now, Jabez was a man more honorable than his brothers. There's the secret right there. Jabez was a man more honorable than his brothers. What defines an honorable person as against having honorable moments? The question, isn't it? What, what makes him more honorable? A person of honor, an honorable person, is a person who's reached the pinnacle of selflessness in devotion to a life of godliness. That makes you honorable. That is what causes you. See, a person of honor is someone who's walking in humility but complete assurance. A broken person is just a person, you wouldn't call them an honorable person, you call them a person of servitude. An honorable person will honor and give honor, but it doesn't make them a lesser person, it makes them a greater person. You understand me here? An honorable person, as against a person who is, who is just, just filled with servitude. We're not filled with servitude, we are filled with the gifts of God to serve. And serving comes from a position of honor, and a place of, to honor those who have no honor, to, to love those who are not loved. Jabez was a man more honorable than his brothers. In other words, he had an identity which was not framed in his experience. And we know that it's his experience because his mother called him Jabez, which means pain. And the key part of the prayer that he recorded is, God, please don't let me cause pain. So you can tell that his name and the, the meaning of his name caused him great heartache. Yeah. All right? It's the central point of part of his, like, the, the wrestle in which it's the fight that he has to fight. It's the thing that he has to get over. You with me, right? Yeah. So that's what Jabez is praying. Now, listen. Jabez is, has got this experience, but it's not his identity. His identity is framed in, I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Because he prays a prayer of blessing. And you can only pray a prayer of blessing and asking for blessing if you know who your father is. Let me read this to you. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them, how precious also are your thoughts to me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. So here is the psalmist saying, this is who I am. This is how I've been formed. This is how I've been created. This is how I've been designed. This is who I am. How fearfully and wonderfully have I been made. Jabez gets up and goes, if I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, if your thoughts to me are precious, then, then I can ask for those precious thoughts to be applied to my life. I can align myself in that, in that line of blessing. For, for none of my experiences are, are, and have been written over my life. They are just things that I go through. No, what I need to do is I need to get into a place where I am called by God, where I know who he is, because I know he created me. Let me finish with this. Hebrews 11, verse 6.
But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's the bit that we always... There's certain parts of scripture that we we highlight, don't we? And that's the bit of 11.6 that we always highlight. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, that's prayer. That's prayer. He who comes to God, that's prayer, must believe, must have an identity on who God is. Now, here's the question. Who is God? You can't define that in five minutes, can you? God is so huge. we, We could be here for the next million years defining him and still not found enough words to say enough about him. So, so who is he? So if I'm to say something about God and not say it for the next million years, what do I say that helps me understand who he is for me right now? For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that, and here's the clue, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus says that, that when we pray to the Father, he will answer all our prayers. So who is he? And what is our identity? He is our creator. He is our Father. And he is the one who thinks precious thoughts towards us, who has planned our days and the blessings that flow from them. You are not the sum of your experiences. You are not the belief that you think about yourself. You are not broken. You are not failed. You are not missing the point and the destiny of your life. You have not failed in your life experience. You are not going to accept less than who you were called to be. Why do we know that to be the case? Romans chapter 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is Romans 8, 28? It is... The conclusion, if my God created me, if he formed me and held me in his hands, if he called forth my substance before I was born, if he spoke over me a destiny, if I will confess who I am in him now, if I will confess who I am in him now, I know that regardless of my experiences, they are not my beliefs. Regardless of those experiences, I am blessed. And everything that I pray for comes forth from the Father who created me. Let's stand up. 
Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.